Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Before we get to our first story for today, I want to thank everyone who's been reading my new blog, which focuses on the the politics of food. Uh, I put up the new post just yesterday on on the politics of farm labor, which gets into things like who harvests our food, where these workers come from, how they're treated, that sort of thing. You know, I've really learned a lot of interesting and and sometimes surprising things when I was doing the research for this article. And so uh, I hope folks enjoy it. And whether or not you enjoy it or not, I definitely like to hear what you think. And if you have suggestions for future articles and just, you know, generally uh, a feedback. Yeah, I think you you've you've taken a look at the first first article or two, haven't you? The post there was surprisingly enjoyable. Well, th- <laughs> surprisingly, I don't know what that would Thank you. I'll take no, it. No, no, no. Actually, no, seriously. I, I think it's, no, I think it's cool. I think it's, uh, I, I think it's a neat, uh, a neat way to approach, uh, what you're doing on your, your, uh, your other project, uh, with, uh, putting together the book. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And so if people want to check it out, just go to politicsguys.com slash Mike. And, uh, while you're there, you can also, if you want, sign up for a post to be sent right to your email inbox using the sign up form you'll see there. So, uh, last week, as you know, Jay, I had internet issues, and so yeah, I wasn't there. And bad. yeah, uh, my internet was in a sense waterlogged. It's better now; it's not perfect, but you know, it occurred to me that that might actually make for a, a pretty good uh, discussion or blog post or something. I mean, it touches on issues like infrastructure, natural monopolies, regulation, outsourcing, because most of the call center people I talked to to try to get this solved were from uh, Manila in the Philippines, uh, you know, use of independent okay. contractors, uh, even, you know, some people make this argument for treating the internet like a public utility, like water or electric, because given how essential it's become for many Americans. And I, I sure found that out in this last week. So uh, I don't know if folks would be interested in, in hearing something like that or reading something like that, but if you are, let us know and we'll see what we can do about maybe, maybe putting together an episode or a blog post or something like that on it. So I thought it might be interesting. So yeah, um, that sounds fun. And one real quick public service type announcement, folks, check your internet speed on a regular basis. It only takes a minute. You know, you can go to like speedtest.net or other sites Make sure you're getting what you're paying for because I wasn't. And, you know, well, anyway, that's my that's my little public service <laughs> announcement. So. All right. Now we'll start off the show for real with a look at the progress of the Republican tax reform legislation. Now, Jay, you know, there's a lot going on here. And I thought I would start off by trying to do my best to sort of summarize where things are. Give a walkthrough where yeah, we are. Yeah. Exactly. So here we go. This week, the House of Representatives passed its bill by a vote of 227 to 205 with no Democratic votes and only 13 Republican defectors. Mostly they were from higher tax states that would be the most affected by the elimination of the state and local tax exemption in the measure. Now, the 440-page bill was first introduced on November 2nd, meaning that there was passed essentially about two weeks after it was introduced with, you know, not too much time for analysis or debate. Uh, also, it directs over 80% of the cuts to corporations, businesses, and the wealthiest taxpayers, according to the nonpartisan Joint Committee on Taxation. Now, JCT also found that under the House bill for the next five years, 92% of Americans would either pay less or see no significant change in their tax bill. But that changes over time. By 2023, only 40% of Americans would pay less and 22% would pay more. 
And there are, there are two big reasons why so many lower and middle class families would eventually see an increase in their tax bills under the House plan. First, something called the Family Flexibility Credit is eliminated after 2022. And second, the House bill uses a different lower measure of inflation after 2022, which would move a lot of people up from the 12% bracket to the 25% bracket. So that's the House bill, which is which is passed, and they're just basically waiting on the Senate. Right. right now. Oh, and, and the other, uh, I guess, and the other reason is that there are provisions that expire uh, after ten years in order to confer, conform with the uh, bird rule, uh, which is you know the sort of the process by which we would get it through the Senate uh, with a, a, a plain regular majority. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And so on the Senate side, now the Senate bill is broadly similar, but there are some important differences. And that just passed out of committee this week. Now, one big difference is a repeal of the Obamacare insurance mandate. And that would save around $300 billion over 10 years, but it would leave up to 13 million more people without insurance. Uh, now, a second important difference. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on that one. Okay. I, I knew we were going to talk about that. So absolutely. I, I, I think there's a there's legitimate reason to push back a bit. So absolutely, I'm not, I, I, I might actually surprisingly agree with you on that. So a second important difference, though, is that uh, in the Senate bill, all of the cuts to individual taxes expire after 2025, whereas the corporate tax cuts are permanent. Now, according to JCT, over the next decade, the Senate bill would give big tax cuts to the rich while raising taxes on families earning $10,000 to $75,000. And the increases for households earning ten dollars to $30,000 would start in 2021. They grow quickly in subsequent years. And by 2027, under the Senate bill, most Americans earning less than $75,000 a year would pay more in taxes, while people earning more than $100,000 a year would continue to pay less. But and, and here's where I will defend the Republicans, believe it or not, Jay. Um, OK, many Republicans pointed out, and I think it's a fair point that part of what JCT is counting as a tax increase is connected to the repeal of the mandate. Uh, in other words, they're counting a subsidy, which is paid to insurers that people who choose not to get insurance would no longer receive as a tax increase on these people. And, and I think that's a little that's a little questionable. Right. It's money. It's money that they're never actually getting for the product they don't actually want and can't actually use. So, yeah, that some of them wouldn't want. Yeah, that's sort of. And, yeah. And, and we haven't math. and we haven't seen a nonpartisan analysis that doesn't treat the elimination of the subsidies as a tax increase. So, you know, we can't say what the effect of that model would be at this point. And that's one of the problems, of course, is when you're rushing something through in weeks uh, that's very complicated that you don't go through the regular order that you, you don't get this sort of analysis. But the Republicans are, you know, are hell bent on pushing this through as quickly as possible. Now, now I know, Jay, we've already talked about the fundamentals of the Republican tax reform a number of times already on the show. And those fundamentals haven't changed. But but that said, what do you think about the tax proposals as they stand right now? And what do you expect the end result might look like? I, I think we're I think we're going to get uh, tax reform uh, by Christmas. I, I think, uh, you know, the 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 bump, the speed bump that came up uh, late, late last week was uh, Senator uh, Johnson of um, Wisconsin, uh, who who uh, indicated that he had some concerns, more than concerns, 
uh, about the treatment of pass-through entities versus the treatment of corporations, believing that the corporations were getting sort of a a, a better deal than than uh, pass-through entities. And and for our listeners, pass-through entities are are typically what's called either an S corp or an LLC, and it's it's a, a manner of business by which a lot a lot of small businesses operate, uh, uh, where where essentially what you you're you're taxed at sort of your individual rate uh, as if it were individual income, uh, as opposed to going through the corporate tax, where you have uh, sort of two levels of taxation. The first being the the, the corporation is taxed on its profits, and then it's taxed uh, the shareholders are taxed on their dividends. Um, so. But but his problem to me it seems is is one that can be solved. It, it's a it's a tweak in the numbers problem. I mean I think there's also an argument that you know it's not even that different a treatment when you consider the corporations are already getting the the double taxation of of um, uh, of profit and and dividends. Um, so I, I think that 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 says the uh, the individual mandate I think is is uh, repealing that I think is is fascinating and you're sort of I sort of wonder why Republicans didn't think of this before. Um, uh, so I, I think, I think that stays in, um, uh, the state and local tax piece. I think there may be some, uh, some, some rejiggering there. Uh, uh but, but I, the, the way I see it, I, I don't see a, a fundamental deal breaker, um, in there. And, you know, there was the other, the other concern or not a concern, but I guess a difference that we've got in that the, uh, the House version sort of flattens tax rates uh, broad, more broadly across the board, collapsing it into to four uh, uh, categories, but still has um, uh, what's called the, the bubble bracket. The Senate doesn't. Um, these are these are pieces that that can be used for negotiation and, and can be worked out. So, I mean, I, I can't tell you what it's going to look like, but I, I think we're going to get something uh, that, uh, you know, within the next uh, before Christmas that is going to generally um, follow along the, the lines we've talked about. No, I, I tend to agree with you. We will get something and it, it will be a little bit different from, from what we see now, just to, you know, get, make sure that they can get 50 senators to go along. But to me, again, and I've talked about this before, you know, a number of times, this is exactly the way to not uh, pass legislation, uh, this sort of rushing through. And, you know, you remember that, that old line that Republicans used to, uh, used to talk about in terms of, I think it was Obamacare saying like, well, uh, we'll need to pass it before we know what's in it. Uh, and, and to me, this is, well, that's, what, that's what Nancy Pelosi yeah, said. Exactly. That, wasn't, that wasn't a Republican. Well, no, but I mean, was, Republicans Pelosi's pitch for, yeah. for passing the, the bill. Exactly. But, okay. but the same thing is going on here. And even much more so, you know, Obamacare took months and months and months. You know, it went through the regular order. This, this, this is not, you know, and so I'm kind of wondering, John McCain, who's supposed to be this, you know, he had this, you know, impassioned speech about we need to get back to the regular order and so forth. Where's, where's he going to land on this? I, I don't know. Where's Bob Corker, Jeff Flake? Jeff Flake is very concerned about, uh, you know, busting this huge $1.5 trillion right. hole in the budget. Yeah, they've raised deficit concerns. And those are real concerns. To me, what's driving this is the sort of uh, focus that Mitch McConnell seems to have just on getting a win. I mean, Mitch McConnell's not a policy guy. He never, I don't think, claimed to be. He's all about power and control and winning. And, and 
to me, that's, that's exactly what we, you know, what we don't want that much of a focus. And, and I think that, you know, this, this just hasn't been vetted enough. And so I think this is awful policy for a lot of reasons. I understand, at least you can tell me if I understand it. I think I understand the Republican sort of uh, idea behind this. You know, I think Democrats are right in saying that, yes, most of the cuts go to the rich in businesses. And that's in my understanding, because of the Republican belief that uh, businesses, for instance, are going to be more strategic in their spending, which is why they kept those tax cuts permanent, where on individuals, they're not sure. going to be, and that's not going to have. But of course, that's sort of a difficult thing to sell. And so Republicans aren't really talking about that. And they're kind of getting into these disingenuous talking points. I mean, Paul Ryan's had to walk back his points about everyone's, you know, these uh, all these middle class taxpayers are going to get a cut. Well, they're not unless future Congresses decide to extend those cuts. And will they do that? Well, the only way they're going to be able to do that, as far as I can tell, is by, you know, busting another big hole in the budget. Let me, I, I just want to weigh in, though, on, on I think there are some the pieces to this that, um, you know, just should be be born in mind as, as we, we talk. I mean, the, the Democrat uh, response is, oh, every, you know, change in taxes is going to be a huge benefit for the rich and it's, it's so forth. Um, but, but that's sort of the nature of, of any tax cut uh, in any progressive tax system, right? I mean, as it, as it stands, uh, the, the, the more well-off uh, pay significantly more uh, in taxes than, than a, a, a similarly situated person with a, a lower income, a similarly situated individual. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's just the, the nature of the beast. And, and, and the other piece of this where you talk about, well, and I don't mean you, I mean, I'm just people in general. Um, if, if you say that, uh, well, we, we need to, you know, just increase taxes on, on the wealthy. The big problem there is there, there, aren't as many wealthy as there are uh, middle-class people. Um, you know, the Willie, Willie Sutton, uh, you know, famous quote of, you know, why do you rob banks? Well, cause that's where the money is. Um, in this case, the money isn't with those, those, those people, those 1% when you talk about the, and the, cause again, think of the math people, one, the 1%, uh, it's, it's the, the, the bigger piece is, is the middle class. And that's where more income is, is actually raised because it's a, a broader base. I mean, you're getting more from, but you, you understand what I'm saying, I'm not, I, I'm not articulating. No, well. I, I totally understand. Um, but, and I agree. But, but that's, but those are, those are, you know, constraints. That's just the way the system is built. Yeah, I, um, I agree. But so that's always going to be the key. Uh, you know, that's, a, you're, you're totally right about that. But the thing that I can't get past is the fact that this increases uh, our, you know, our debt by 1.5, trillion dollars. So, you know, there would, there would be, there would have been a way to have done tax reform that would have not increased the national debt. I mean, but Republicans chose not to do that. What they're doing essentially is, is giving, but, but would it, but would it spur growth? You know, and, and that's, to me, that's the, the bigger point is, is, is that, you know, this isn't, this isn't aimed at, at cutting the debt. I think it, it does cut the debt eventually. And again, the, uh, CBO, will disagree with me because it's, you know, they, they, you know, have the non-dynamic scoring. Um, 
But hold on there. Stop. Uh, just one minute. Now, I, I, I have to call you on this because I understand that this is a this is an, this is what I would call a bogus article of, of re- Republican faith. The fact of the matter is, is, is both conservative and liberal economists, the vast majority will tell you that, yes, these things will spur growth, but not nearly enough to pay for themselves. So, yeah, you know, tax cuts can be helpful. But, you know, like I said, I talked to uh, uh, Glenn Hubbard, who was, you know, the author, one of the main authors of the huge, just about as big Bush tax cuts. And, you know, even he came out and said, you know, these tax cuts don't pay for themselves. And so this is essentially giving a big tax cuts to the businesses and the wealthy and asking future generations of Americans to pay for them. They're not going to pay for themselves. And there are almost no economists who say that they will. So anyway, sorry, I just wanted to get that out there. All right. Well, I mean, we we can go into that another day as far as also what what they pay for and and, and where that money goes. I mean, to me, if you're putting more money back into the hands of uh, of American citizens and American businesses, uh, that's better than putting it back into the hands of of the uh, the government. Um, but um, my other the other piece I wanted to to hit on is is you talked about the the process. And uh, to some extent, I think every, you know, it's sort of a cliche, you know, every procedural uh, uh, argument is, is disingenuous and, and maybe it is, but, but these are, these are topics that have been kicked around and talked about for quite some time. This is not something that's just popped up. The other piece of this that I think is, is, is bigger is, you know, the, you and I have talked about this and compared this to the, the last big tax reform, uh, which was the Reagan tax cut in 86. And I think you have to factor in sort of the the game theory uh, of of how the the Congress and the presidency is is set right now as compared to how it was then. Um, you don't have when you have one party uh, controlling uh, both houses of Congress and the presidency, uh, there is no incentive for the the other party to work with them. In fact, there's a huge disincentive. Uh, there's likewise no incentive for them to, to reach out to the, the other party. Um, in, in the, in 86, of course, the, um, the house was controlled by Democrats. The Senate was controlled by Republicans and, and the Republicans held the white house. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's just a, a different sort of, um, uh, vibe. The, 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 there's more incentive for bipartisanship in that sort of situation uh, because it's necessary. I mean, another example would be welfare reform in the 90s. And there, in that case, you had a Republican Congress and a Democrat president uh, who were able to work uh, on a, a bipartisan way to get stuff done. Um, but I, I really think if you take the other examples, you know, Obamacare, you had Democrat president, Democrat Congress, uh, and uh, and what we have now. Um, I, I think there's, it's just, it's, it's structural, uh, more than, more than anything else. No, I, I think that's a, that's a reasonable point. And of course, even though Obamacare. Well, it's better than reasonable. It's well, really good, I, I, think, I, you know, I, I would say that, you know, it's fair to point out that with Obamacare, even though it did go through the regular order and there was certainly, I believe, a good faith attempt made to, to make it a bipartisan thing, the Democrats knew that they had 60 votes in the Senate. And so it makes it a lot easier to know that it push comes to shove as long as your party sticks together. But they didn't have 60 votes in the Senate and the day. But, um, well, at the end of the day. Yeah, right. But at the during the during the process, when yeah, they decided to the 
when they decided to run it through the regular order as opposed to doing it through some kind of a reconciliation thing. But anyway, I've, I've talked about, and this is, I mean, and this is, and here's another reason for this again. And this is, I, I like to encourage people to think structurally sometimes because it's not always left or left or right. But it, in those situations, it's then if you're a, a member of the majority party who's got sort of maybe your own agenda, your, your power to make an impact increases. If you are one of the 50 senators, uh, you know, who they need to, you know, they can't lose more than two, um, your, your ability to shape policy increases significantly. Uh, and, and that's, that's structural. And that's what happened, uh, uh, with Obamacare too, to some extent, right? I mean, um, they they didn't have the 60 votes really uh, because you had people who were not comfortable with it and they eventually had to go through the, the reconciliation uh, process. So um, I, I think that's that's something that you don't, you don't read about, you don't hear about, um, and it's sort of a, a big picture, but that's no, that, that, that's structurally. That's, yeah. that's a very good point. And so Democrats get out there and vote in 2018 and we can have a, maybe a democratic house and, and, Put together the sort of structural situation to get some better legislation. So absolutely. Um, no, it would. That would happen. I, I, yeah. I, I think. I know. I, I think you're right. I think that's a very good point. Yeah. So you know, before we before we move on to our next story, Jay, uh, we talked before, right, about Dollar Shave Club, uh, the great shave we yes. get from Dollar Shave Club, and you know, uh, especially when we use it with their Dr. Carver Shave Butter, and now they have even more products for your daily routine. They've got stuff for your hair, face, skin, shower, even, yes, even butt wipes, everything you need. And it's all their own original stuff, premium ingredients delivered right to your door, just like the, just like with the razor. So you don't have to deal with, you know, annoying shopping trips to the store, especially, you know, you want to go out to your, you know, CVS and get butt wipes. I don't know, but you know, it's one of those things that you might actually find useful. So and now is really a great time to give Dollar Shave Club a try. Why? Well, because you get your first month of their best razor. Uh, you know, they have various grades. And this is the premium grade, along with travel size versions of shave butter, body cleanser, and yes, even those butt wipes for just $5. And after that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. It's what they call the Dollar Shave Club starter set. So get yours for just $5 exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG. Okay, moving on, Jay, um, to our next story. Well, there were more developments regarding sexual harassment this week. Um, first, of course, additional women came forward to accuse Alabama Republican Senate candidate Roy Moore of improper conduct. Charges that more <laughs> that more oh, that, that's the, the the roy moore music uh, uh roy music theme song playing in the back there uh young girl by uh gary puckett uh oh okay but, uh, um, i'm sorry go ahead Mom. yeah well they are charges that moore continues to vehemently deny um but you know as, as the number of credible accusers has grown more support has slipped uh, both from establishment republicans and actually in alabama where some recent polls have him trailing former prosecutor doug jones who's his opponent in the december 12th special election but of course the alabama republican party has stuck with their candidate arguing that he should be granted a presumption of innocence and that really it's up to the people of alabama to make the choice and 
you know, it's clear, right, that this is an issue. Well, I mean, to some extent, what else? What else can they do? Yeah, yeah. That's well, he could drop out. But anyway, um, you know, right. it, it, but they can't force him out. Right yeah. now, you know, this is an issue that's obviously you know prevalent in workplaces throughout the country, uh, including in the United States Congress now, where, where this week Democratic Senator Al Franken admitted to sexual harass, sexually harassing Leanne Tweeden when they were working on USO tour in 2006. And, you know, after being faced with indisputable evidence of improper behavior, that, you know, picture of him seemingly squeezing the breasts of, of Tweed as she was sleeping, Franken apologized and called for a Senate ethics uh, investigation of his behavior. And something that that's something that both parties and, you know, we usually divided Senate agree actually will happen. So. You know, Jay, before we get to our thoughts on this, and I know you, know, you and Trey have talked about this when the, when the Moore thing came out. Um, I feel like uh, I should I should start with I, I guess I guess I guess you'd call it sort of a confession um, of sorts from me. Um, all week, well, all week I've been feeling much more I guess of what you'd call an emotional reaction to this than I tend to feel about a lot of the stories we cover, and and I had a you know I, I sort of searched my soul and thought about why, and I, I finally did realize why, and I think it's important that I that I uh, that I mention this. So, um, you know, of course, that that I'm a Marine. Uh, I, I I enlisted in the reserves after my pretty disastrous first semester at Baldwin Wallace, uh, which I remember only hazily. But not too long after that, I decided I might want to make a career in the Marines, and so I went to officer candidate school. And that didn't work out for for reasons that really aren't important. But uh, I came home from that experience. I was, you know, confused. I was disappointed, and 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 I was, I think, at the time, pretty emotionally vulnerable. Um, and and throughout all of this uh, that I was going through, there was a guy who was much older than me. Uh, I looked up to him as a mentor. Uh, he was really almost kind of a surrogate father figure type of person. Um, and he was somebody who was, you know, very accomplished, incredibly respected uh, in the community. And when OCS didn't work out for me, he suggested that I, you know, come visit him for a few days so we could, you know, um, commiserate, have some beers, that sort of thing. And, 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 you know, I thought, well, that sounds like just what I need. And so I drove, I don't know, it was like seven, eight hours and, and, and went to visit him. Uh, and everything was fine. Great, I thought, until that first evening. Uh, I, I'm not going to go into the details, uh, but I, I'll say that I, he didn't exactly sexually assault me. But what he did was, um, uh, it was definitely inappropriate. Um, and at first, you know, I, I did, sorry, I didn't even really process what was going on. It, it just seemed to be out of character for him, you know, at least what I thought I knew about him. And, and then, then I thought, you know, I gotta be misunderstanding what's going on here. Uh, but you know, then it became clear to me that I wasn't, uh, misunderstanding. And, and then the first thing I swear, the first thing that, that came into my mind was what did I do to make him do this? Uh, I, I just, I just assumed I must've done something wrong, you know, given some sort of a signal or, or, or something, it had to be me. And, I don't know. I, I, you know, he, I guess he picked up on what was my extreme discomfort. Uh, and after that first night, everything was about, I guess, as normal as it could be. Um, and you know, I didn't tell anyone about it. In fact, 
this is the first time I've ever said anything to anyone about it except uh, for, for Kimberly, my wife. Um, and, and, you know, the whole thing left me feeling, uh, I don't know, like I was wrong or guilty or something. Uh, you know, I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed. I, you know, it, 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 and this is, you know, this is many, many years ago, and I still feel some of that. And now I don't begin to pretend that this was anything close to what so many women have been forced to endure. I, I know it's not. Um, and, and I felt like though, maybe there are some similarities. I don't know. Um, and I thought that maybe if, if me talking about this, you know, saying something about this publicly is so difficult, uh, and it is, it's been, you know, more difficult than I thought. Um, I can't imagine how hard it has to be to, for women, you know, who've been sexually assaulted to, to say anything, especially if the person doing the assaulting is, is, you know, is rich or powerful or respected. And, and, but I feel like the more people who talk about their experiences, maybe that makes it, you know, just a tiny bit easier for other people to talk about their experiences, to realize how common this is. And, and, you know, the more that happens, I'd like to think that, that it'll make harassment and and abuse uh, a little less common in the long run. So that's, that's why I wanted to mention that kind of this very personal sort of thing. And, and just to kind of start off with that. So, okay. Um, so Jay, uh, your thoughts, uh, sorry, I think it's going to drop a bomb there. Um, um, yeah, I mean, look, you and I have known each other for 25 some years now. And, and, um, this is the first time I've heard of that. And, and, you know, so, wow. I mean, um, you know, but I, you know, I, I don't know what, what I can add to that. Um, um, you know, uh, other than, I mean, I was going to lead off by saying, uh, this is something that, that there's, there's naturally going to be an inclination if, if you have, you know, two guys talking about this, about, well, we just don't get it, don't have the perspective. Um, but, but I mean, it, I think you do. Um, so, uh, um, you know, with, with that, yeah, it, it's, you know, I really think people don't necessarily appreciate how common this sort of thing uh, is. Uh, in 2016, I was doing some research. The uh, uh, EEOC, uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, uh, did sort of a meta-analysis. They looked at all the surveys and things about uh, sexual harassment and that sort of thing in the workplace. And what they concluded based on, you know, analyzing a lot of different surveys and so forth is that somewhere around... Forty percent of all women in the workplace have have reported or have report that they have uh, experienced some sort of uh, sexual harassment, uh, improper advances, you know, of that, of that sort of thing. And you know, that's the sort of thing also that probably is actually underreported because people are, I, I would say, understandably reluctant to to talk about it. So this is, you know, this is a huge thing. I I am absolutely confident that there are dozens, if not more, members of Congress who have repeatedly engaged in multiple uh, incidents of, of incredibly inappropriate behavior. In fact, we heard testimony from, uh, from uh, several women in Congress saying that, that that absolutely has gone on and that you know staffers have this uh, sort of unofficial, what they call creep list of people who do these sort of things. I mean, this is a, this is a, a huge, huge problem and it's just, it's just uh, unacceptable and reprehensible.
Well, let me weigh in from from my experience um, working in the Ohio House of Representatives. Uh, and it's also, I, I think, to your point, um, in the past two weeks, uh, we have seen uh, one uh, Republican state senator uh, has been uh, forced to resign. A uh, state uh, representative uh, resigned just yesterday. Uh, the uh, head of the uh, the Democratic uh, uh, Senate Caucus Chief of Staff uh, resigned last week. Uh, all, I mean, these same types of allegations. Um, and then there was a, a, for no no other way to put it, batshit crazy Facebook post by an Ohio Supreme Court justice um, um, uh, that came out yesterday. If you haven't seen it, I, 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 I highly recommend it. Um, <laughs> but um, Ohio Supreme Supreme Court justice and gubernatorial candidate, but but no, having worked in that environment, um, no, there was the sense that uh, yeah, there were there were certain representatives uh, who were were prone to that type of behavior, um, and I think the the political, you know, the statehouse milieu, uh, and I think it's 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 similar in Congress, and I think it's probably similar in Hollywood for a lot of reasons. Again, structural reasons, um, it, you know, makes it makes it easier to get away with. Um, and I think some of the some of those are it's 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 in it's in, in um, the organization is is very. Um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of the, the best way to to describe this. Um, uh, non nonlinear. There, there's not a there's not a strict hierarchy. You know what I mean? It's not as if you have this manager who reports to this manager who reports to this manager. It's it's uh, power is all kind of relative. You've got sort of house leadership and so forth, but um, but amongst you know the the other members, it's just sort of a, a scrum, I guess. Uh, um, and, and you know, individual aides uh, report to you know their member as opposed to uh, you know, the, the, the house overall, although again, officially it's, you know, the employee of the house or the Senate. Um, and it's also a world where, and I think this is similar to Hollywood too. Um, the, the word of, of one powerful person can make or break you. Uh, and it can do that quickly. Uh, it's, it's a, they're both places where you have uh, a lot of young people, um, who go there because it's it's exciting, it's fun, and there is the the uh, possibility of rapid advancement. Um, uh, and and uh, you know again that rapid advancement isn't typically measured as it is in some corporations. There aren't there aren't some really objective metrics, you know, to to look at. Um, you know, it's not like okay, well, he brought in this much business, or geez, their revenue increased by X. It, it's you know, and here's why we're promoting you because of you know here's the numbers. Um, it is a, a much more uh, subjective. Hey, this is this, you know, this person's uh, person um, for for good or ill. And I I think those factors um, make this type of behavior uh, more common and and easier to get away with. That, that's not to say it doesn't happen in in other industries. I, I mean, I'm I'm certainly not saying that. Um, but but I think politics is particularly bad um, for 
some of those reasons. And also there's other just weird things. If it's, it's long days and late nights and, and, uh, alcohol often flows freely and free receptions. And, and there's all those sorts of other things that you throw in there that you don't necessarily have at, at, you know, every workplace. So, well, I would say that one thing that makes Congress different as a workplace too, is that of course, Congress gets to make its own laws about protections for congressional staffers. And if, if you've taken a look at the process, and a lot of people have, you know, this, this last few weeks about the, uh, what a staffer or an aide has to do if they, you know, if there's an alleg, if they want to, you know, lodge a complaint, an allegation, there's this, you know, months long process of mandatory counseling and mediation with the person they're accusing. And then, then they have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a really, we have no idea exactly how much of this is going on. We do know that in the last several decades, uh, Congress has paid out $15 million in, in settlements involving 260 cases. Now, how many of those are, are, are sexual harassment? Uh, we don't know because that isn't broken down. We don't know which offices. So this is all shrouded in secrecy. And that's not a coincidence. I'm sure that Congress did that. You know, And so uh, this week, uh, a number of members of Congress introduced what's called the Me Too Congress Act to try to make this process a little more uh, transparent. And we, we will see where that goes and we'll certainly follow the progress of that. But that's what makes Congress different is that Congress gets to set its own rules. And of course, when you have any institution designing rules by which it's going to be policed, it's going to design rules that, uh, you know, that, that are, make it easier on itself. Well, and, and, and also I, there's something with, with Congress and to some extent, I, I think this applies to Hollywood uh, also is that, um, there's not the, the kind of accountability that you have in a typical corporation where, uh, whatever this, this manager does this, uh, the corporation doesn't do anything and the corporation can be sued and the board of directors can lose a lot of money and or the shareholders can lose money. Um, in this case, um, yeah, these, these things are settled, but it's sort of a, a, a slush fund. It's not like Congress is, is losing money. There's not like a bottom line that they really have to report. Uh, and it's not like, uh, you know, someone in Congress can just fire a member who acts badly. Um, I look, I, I suppose there are, yes, processes to, uh, unseat them and, and so forth, uh, um, uh, ethics investigations and all like that. But, but it's not like you got a bad manager at this store while well, we're just going to fire them. Uh, um, that's that's the other problem. You know, let let's talk about that for a little bit. I think we should. Uh, speaking of firing people and so forth, a lot of folks have called for Al Frank, both on the left and the right, have called for Al Franken to resign his Senate seat. And uh, uh, my sense of this is, I actually don't think he should resign. What I'd like to see is an ethics investigation to really dig into. What's what, you know, if this is a, a pattern of behavior or a one off sort of thing and and sort of see where the evidence leads. Uh, and, you know, people have pointed out that, well, an ethics investigation never leads to uh, never leads to a member being expelled. And, you know, it's true that no members have been expelled since 1862, I believe it was. And those were people who sided with the Confederacy. Essentially, so there's a pretty big reason for expelling <laughs> they had them. A common. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's recently not that long ago. And I believe it was 1995, there was an ethics investigation against Senator Bob Packwood for sexual misconduct. And he wasn't expelled, but he was essentially forced to resign. So it's not like there's no precedent for this sort of thing. You know, 
And 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 I think so. I don't think that Al Franken should resign. I I also think that Roy Moore is you know within his rights certainly to 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 run. And and you know I think the people of Alabama, I guess based on the evidence in front of them, should make a choice. Now as to whether or not the the Senate would expel. Roy Moore, I think a number of, you know, a number of Republican leaders have said, well, it sounds that way, like they would be, they would want to expel him. And, and I think that that would be the, the honorable and, and right thing to do, given the evidence that we've, that we've seen. I don't think he's fit to serve in the Senate. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's right. So uh, something else, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, um, and that sort of goes into maybe the, what we're reading. Um, the Atlantic piece, uh, uh, and following up on the New York Times piece about, uh, you know, I, I, you know, believing Juanita Roderick, Broderick, um, what, you know, to me, this, this, this moment in some ways, it, 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 it coincides with, um, sort of the end of the Clinton era. And, and I, I don't want to read too much into this, but it, it's hard to, to say that that's, that's merely coincidental. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think that sometimes these things just sort of, just sort of happen. It seems like this has been sort of almost kind of a movement thing, starting with the, the, the Weinstein thing and so forth. So I don't, I don't buy into that, that sort of thing, I guess. Now I, I do want to, let, let, let me put it this way in the, in the hypothetical. Okay. If, if Hillary Clinton had become president, uh, do you think the New Yorker would have run with the Weinstein article? I, I don't see why they wouldn't have. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge well, story. See, I, I, I disagree. I, I think there was, there, there has been in the press. And again, we saw this in, in the Weinstein story being sort of scuttled uh, numbers of times in the past. Um, you know, there, there's a sense of, uh, look, what collateral damage uh, is caused by this, uh, whether it's an intentional, you know, uh, thought out, um, uh, or, or it's just it's it's just sort of an internal bias, but I, I think that's that's an interesting question, and that's what the the Atlantic piece sort of sort of looks at. But yeah, well, I, I guess guess we'll never know. It's always hard to you know these counterfactual sort of things. One thing, final thing, I, I want to point out before before we move on. I know we're running kind of long on this, but is that I think there's an important distinction to be made between allegations coming out when a, when somebody is running for re-election when the voters have a chance to weigh the evidence and make a decision as opposed to allegations to come out when someone's in office and it may be years before these people can be, you know, held to account by the voters. I mean, you sure. know, it's true that there should be a presumption of innocence, but there's also, you know, it's also true that there's a difference between sort of, you know, a, a one-off type of thing or something where there's just an accusation as opposed to multiple credible accusations. So it's not, you know, there are shades of gray here, certainly. There are shades of, of, of reprehensible behavior. There are some people who are sexual predators and use their power to, to do awful things. And there are some people who just do dumb things once or twice that are still incredibly wrong. But, you know, and so I, I guess I feel like when someone's running for election, then voters have an opportunity to make that decision. But when somebody's already in office, they're sort of, especially if they're, say, a senator who've just been reelected, you know, there could be years between, you know, that 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 incident being reported and the voters having a chance to sort of uh, 
weigh in on that. And that's when you would want the Senate to launch a, a you know, a strong and, and rigorous investigation and uh, based on their findings, do, uh, do the right thing. And right. I hope that happens in the yeah. Al Franken case. Well, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what, uh, what happens as, um, uh, as it progresses. But I, you know, I, I do want to say though, and I, and I, maybe I talk about Ohio too much, but that's, you know, that's where I live and that's sort of where I've got sort of, uh, more, more intimate knowledge. Um, I think it's, it's really uh, important. I would say kudos to the, the leaders in the, um, Ohio house and Senate, uh, uh, who stepped up. And, and again, this has been a bipartisan, uh, situation where, you know, you've had, um, in this case, it's, it's two Republicans, one Democrat, uh, who have been, uh, essentially forced to resign over these type of, of allegations. Um, the, you know, the buzz is that, you know, there is likely more of that coming. Um, and, uh, so I, I think, you know, I, it's to say, to say that, uh, it's not taken seriously, um, I think it, it is, it is at least here and, and it's, it's taken seriously and, and dealt with in a bipartisan manner. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'll end by saying that it is, it is a lot more widespread, I think, than a lot of people appreciate. I think there are a lot of other shoes to drop. And, and I certainly hope that the, the many, many women and men who have been, uh, uh, you know, ex, uh, victims of this, I guess is, you know, uh, that they will, uh, Take take courage from from people who have spoken out and and speak out themselves because the more people who speak out, the harder it's going to be for people who abuse their power and, and hurt folks uh, this way to get away with what they're doing. So so I hope people will speak out about that. All right, well well Jay, uh, geez, we we normally get to a few more stories, but uh, we definitely covered these the, the two stories we talked about this week in in a fair amount of depth, and I think that that about wraps things up for us today. Sounds good. Yeah. Tune so in, tune in Wednesday and we'll add the stuff that we yeah, actually there, get in on uh, this episode. That's a good point. There are a number of stories we really wanted to get to. Uh, for instance, uh, Jay, you mentioned it this week on, on Facebook that uh, uh, Rob Cordray is leaving the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And I have a lot to say about that, as you might expect. Uh, I'm very sad. Uh, and also the the mistrial in the uh, Senator uh, Robert Menendez uh, the trial. And that's a, that's a big deal as well. And so we're going to get to that as well as uh, finally get to more listener questions, comments, that sort of thing from listener mail. So uh, check that out on Wednesday, but that, that will be Wednesday. That's it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you liked what you heard and you will check out today's sponsor, Dollar Shave Club, where you can get your first month of their best razor along with travel size versions of shave butter, body cleanser, and butt wipes for just $5 by going to dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG. Also, I hope you check out my blog where I post regular stuff about my research on food politics and maybe some other things. That's politicsguys.com slash Mike. Hey, listener support is a huge help to us and we really do appreciate it. If you are interested in joining our great group of Politics Guys supporters, you can do that by going through politicsguys.com and clicking on the Patreon link. And if you want to support the show, help us out by, without spending anything, it would be great if you could share this episode with your friends and followers or pass along our new show posts and tweets on Facebook and Twitter and leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes also does help. If you want to get in touch with us, we can be reached at mail at politicsguys.com. 
politicsguys.com. Also on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash politicsguys, where we post stuff throughout the week. Finally, we are also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorf, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.